So the reading is Malachi, chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned away from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altars with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. I'd like to invite Rich to come up for us. He's going to preach from this text, and I'm going to pray for him. Let's pray for Rich. Lord Almighty, we love your word, and we ask that it will be alive for us today. Press it onto our hearts and change us. We ask that you would bless Rich as he speaks. Thank you for giving him your words. And we ask you would make us more like Christ as we hear you speak through him. For Jesus' name and his glory we ask. Amen. Good morning. 
It's nice to be back in the building, isn't it? I know there was a, probably for all of us who were here last week a, a question mark in our mind about whether it was going to happen again. Might have been better if it happened today because of the weather. But there you go. It was a good week. I heard from a lot of people last week that they had a really good time in homes. Uh, I certainly did. It's a blessing to get together in homes and to eat together and fellowship together, isn't it? So God had a good plan last week. Uh, we're doing this series in Malachi. And I've heard a couple of people say, it's a bit of a gloomy book, isn't it? <laughs> I wonder if you feel that way. But actually, there's glorious promises in Malachi. Uh, and what Malachi is doing, along with what all the prophets are doing, is calling God's people back to covenant, calling God's people back to the covenant. So it's a gracious book because even though they're disobeying, God's calling them back. That's what prophets are doing. So we're going through Malachi because... We have this value in our church of being worshippers. Above all, that's what life's all about, uh, being worshippers of God. God's passionate about it. And we saw a few weeks ago in Malachi chapter 1 that God says, My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. So God's passionate about his glory in all the world. And he says it a couple times in that chapter. My name will be feared. My name will be great. He's passionate about worship and being worshipped because we need it and because he's worthy of it. But we saw in chapter 1 that God's people, what were they doing? I don't know if you remember if you were here. In Malachi chapter 1, they're bringing rubbish sacrifices to God. They're, they're coming to the temple with defective animals and they're just going through the motions and they're not passionate about worshipping God. They're not excited about worshipping God. They've become cynical. So we saw the last time that genuine worship is about grasping how great God's love is for us. That's where it starts, is grasping his love. And today, in Malachi chapter 2, we see that genuine worship isn't just about grasping his love. It is about that, but it's also about living in loving relationships with God and each other. It's about our covenant relationships. It's about faithful love. It's about covenant love. We'll talk about what that idea of covenant is shortly. But genuine worship is all about covenant love. I want to wish the mums here a happy uh, Mother's Day. Uh, and this is highly relevant. Uh, just to give a story here for the men. Just lest we husbands think that we married our equals. Uh, we didn't marry our equals. We married far above us, all of us. And so I want to uh, tell you a little story. When I was 15, I uh, had on my wall, all over my wall, Los Angeles Lakers basketball posters. That was on my wall. I was a basketball fanatic, and that's what I had on my wall. My wife had hung, hanging up in her room Shakespeare's sonnet number 116. <laughs> now, I want to read you this sonnet because it's very relevant to our topic, okay? And I also want to apologize. It's very unseemly for an Australian to read Shakespeare. I'm going to do it anyway. Actually, we were taught in uh, high school, in, in equivalent of sixth form, we were taught to try and read it in an English accent, but I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to do that. I'd love to, actually, but I'm not going to. Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. I mean, what 15-year-old has that? Males, have you ever? But listen to this. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. Oh, no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark, little ship, whose worth's unknown, 
although his height be taken. Love's not time's full, though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickle's compass come. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error, and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved. So love, that kind of is brilliant because it reflects God's love. What's his love like? It doesn't change on, based on circumstances. It's not, it's not capricious. It's not variable. It's constant. It's sacrificial. It's dependable. And we're to reflect his love. And true worship is about reflecting God's love back to him and to, in our relationships with people. Worship is not just about uh, me and God. It's about my relationships with people. So genuine worship of God will affect our relationships. And we see the problem in Malachi chapter, well, all of Malachi, is that the people of Israel, God's people, are not living in this kind of, they're not reflecting this kind of dependable love to one another. Have a look at verse 10, and we see kind of a summary verse of this passage. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? You see, the reason we need to be faithful to one another is we're one family. We're God's people. And God has made us his own people. So we're to reflect the same love that he's had for us in our relationships. And we'll see shortly, especially in the greatest human covenant, which is marriage. But we're to reflect that covenant love in all of our relationships. I wonder how that's going for you. How, how is God's faithful love reflected in your own relationships? Your relationship with God and your relationships with others. That's where we're going today. So the outline is three points here. Covenant people, the faithful priest, the faithful husband. That's where we're going. And the big lesson here is this, that, that true worship is all about delighting to be faithful in our relationships with God and with one another, to reflect this covenant love. So it's not just about external ritual, chapter one, but neither is it just about me and God. It's about my relationships. Worship is about our relationships. All right, first one, covenant people. You know, if you look at this passage, you'll see this word covenant six times in the passage, so it's a big theme. And we see that God's people are violating the covenant in a couple of big ways. But let's talk about what covenant is, because it's very important. It's God's normal way of dealing with his people. So you see covenants right throughout the arc of Bible history. God's a covenant-making God. He loves to make covenants. What's a covenant? It's this, it's this agreement between two parties, or it's this relationship between two parties where there's benefits or blessings in this covenant, okay? But it's different to a contract. You might hire a builder and they, you write up a contract for your builder to fix something in your house or do some renovations and you pay them money. But a covenant is deeply relational. So it's deeper than just a contract or a, or a, or a treaty. It's deeply relational. And you see in the Bible that uh, often when God sets out a covenant, there's blessings for obeying or keeping it, and curses for disobeying. And God's a passionately covenant-making and keeping God. He's passionate about it, so he makes a covenant with Abraham, he makes a covenant with David, he makes a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. He's making covenants. Why? Does he need covenants? 
What's the benefit for God in a covenant? What, what does he get from us? He actually doesn't need to make covenants with us. We're actually getting all the benefit. He's a generous God. He loves to initiate into relationship with us. He's a generous God. He doesn't need to make covenants. But he's serious about covenants. He's also joyful about covenants. And we're to be joyfully serious about our covenants too. Now the beauty of a covenant is this. Is that it combines these two things that we think are uh, are sort of uh, irresolvable. That is duty and delight. It brings them together. It brings together passion and promise. These two things. That covenant is all about being passionate about the one you're entering into relationship with and keeping your promise to them. That's what covenant is all about. And that's what worship is about. It's not just about going through the motions of duty, is it? But nor is it, nor is it just about uh, passion without commitment. Nor is it just, it's about both, passion and commitment. Now, this idea of covenant is a bit foreign in our culture, isn't it? In, uh, we have a sort of, in the Western culture, we have this individualistic mindset where my own personal individual freedom is the highest thing my own pursuit of individual happiness. And so covenant seems really limiting. It seems unappealing because what's, what if I don't want to continue this relationship? What if I want out? What if I'm not feeling excited? Covenant can seem unappealing. But we still understand some forms of covenant in our culture. We understand marriage, even though marriage, less and less people see the point of marriage. We can see the evidence in our culture there that um, covenant is becoming a bit alien. But I'll give you an example of where Everyone understands this idea of covenant, and that is with a parent and a child. Also relevant on Mother's Day. But we understand that a parent is committed to their child. And those, those of you who are mums know that when you are exhausted and tired and sore and whatever else is going on and you're just absolutely uh, shattered and your child calls for you, cries and needs you, you go and you show this faithful love to your child. And we also understand as a culture that it would be a disgraceful thing for a a parent to abandon their child. We understand that. We understand that covenant love, a love for a a parent to a child, can't just be a dutiful love, can't just be a, I'm just going to go through the motions and feed my child. It has to go with affection, doesn't it? Genuine parental love is not just serving my child to meet their needs, but it's delighting in them. Uh, That's what good parenting is. And so we understand this idea of covenant in some ways. God's love for us is both passionate and faithful. It's strong and it's it's delighted love in us. That's the kind of love he has for us. You know, in uh, this book, we get this this expression coming up. And in the ESV study Bible, it says that over 40% of the verses in this whole book, maybe you can count them later, Over 40% of the verses in this book of Malachi have this term, the Lord of hosts, or the Lord Almighty. I know some of you are going to be tempted to count now. Don't. Do it later. The Lord of hosts. He's the Lord with with, uh, endless spiritual armies and spiritual powers behind him. He's a mighty Lord. And at a time where Israel didn't have an army, that would have been significant to them. But he's a powerful God. He's able to follow through on his promises. He's able to stick with his promises, but he's also a God who's passionate in his love and passionate for worship. And that's what worship is all about. Duty and delight, passion and promise, that's what covenant is about. Now, how would you evaluate your own relationships in terms of passion and promise, or faithfulness uh, as well as delight? How would you evaluate your own relationships? 
How's that going? How do you go, for example, when things are getting really tough in your relationships, when things, your feelings aren't there in your relationships? God would have us be passionate as, and keeping our promise and faithful. And he's passionate about making us these people. We said that last time. This is the encouraging thing in Malachi's God is passionate about making us worshippers. That's the good news. And we see, though, in, the, in Malachi that there's two kinds of covenants God's people are breaking. The vertical covenant with God and the horizontal covenant. And we'll look at the, both of these. Now have a look at verse 8b and you'll see the vertical covenant being violated. And God says, You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. You see that? You have violated the covenant with Levi. So the covenant between God and the priests is being violated. The covenant that God's people made, their priests made with God. Secondly, verse 14, you can see they're making horizontal, they're violating their horizontal covenants with people. You ask, why? Why do you no longer look with favor in our offerings? It is because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So we see a vertical covenant being violated and a horizontal covenant being violated. Let's look at this vertical one first. So point two here, the faithful priest. The vertical covenant. God sends a warning to the priests and in verses 1 and 2. Have a look at them. And as we do, look for this covenant language of blessing and curse here. And now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen... And if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. So you see that strong language of blessing and curse. Why? Because they have not done what? You see it twice in those verses. You have not resolved to honor me. You need to resolve to honor me. Now, we know about resolutions and how they don't work. We know that if you resolve to stop eating cheesecake for the year, the will doesn't, isn't enough, is it? You need to actually you need a change of priorities. You need to love your health more than the taste of cheesecake. You need a change of priorities. And so the priests need a total change of priorities. They need to love God more than these other things. They need a reorientation of their priorities. Otherwise, they'll be rejected. Have a look at verse 3. And we see a couple of graphic images in verse 3. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. Now, first one, the rebuke your descendants part. Now, that sounds unfair. I don't think it's a correct translation. Have a look at the uh, little letter. You'll have a letter in the verse, and it says down the bottom, it says A, doesn't it? In verse 3, or I will blight your corn. Huh. How do you get that? Well, the, the verse could mean either because it's a verse seed, okay? But I think in the terms of what we're talking about in covenant here, it's more likely it means I'm going to blight your, your crops. Why? Because that was one of the, the, the curses that God told them would happen if they would violate the covenant, is that your crops will be laid waste. Okay, so what he's saying there, I think, is I'm going to wreck your crops. The second one is, I'm going to smear on your faces the dung 
from your festival sacrifices. It's a disgrace, isn't it? It's this public disgrace. And it reminds me of Back to the Future where Biff gets the manure truck all over him. You know? It's like when that happens, it's game over. There's no comeback when the manure truck comes on you. So there's Biff getting covered. But this is what's going to happen with these people. God's going to flush them away. They'll be disgraced. They'll be carried off with the offal. They'll be totally rejected and humiliated. Why? Have a look at verses 7 to 9, because they're leading God's people astray. Verses 7 to 9. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth, but you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. That's a really interesting verse. Partiality, verse 9. Partiality in matters to the law. What are they doing? They're selecting bits of God's word they're going to obey and bits they're not. Uh, they're, being, they're being selective. They're being partial in what they're going to obey. They're picking and choosing. And we see examples of that today. God hates it equally. Um, church leaders who might compromise on Bible's teaching in some area. Maybe the Bible's teaching on the gospel, that it's unique and there's only one saviour. Or maybe compromising on the Bible's teaching on sexuality. So we see that. Um, we see examples uh, of, for example, leaders doing all kinds of things or being greedy for money or for their own gain. So compromising on God's word. God's passionate about it. He hates it. You only have to read the letters to the uh, churches in Revelation 2 and 3 and see how Jesus equally hates um, false teaching and tolerating sexual immorality and all these things. So Jesus hates those same things. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we know he doesn't tolerate those things in church leaders today, but actually, this applies to all of us, doesn't it? We're all God's people, and you know, it says in the New Testament, we're all priests. We've been made a kingdom of priests to serve God. So question for you, is there any way you're being selective in your obedience to God's word? Is there any way you're picking and choosing uh, what to obey? Something you're just saying, oh, I'm not going to worry about that. Is there any way, perhaps, that you're not upholding God's truth? But God describes what this covenant is to be like in verse 4 to 6. Have a look at verses 4 to 6. And you will know that I've sent this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Now, it's challenging, isn't it? Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not up to that. I haven't done the things I need to do. And here's this picture of this person. Uh, he describes him as Levi doing all these things. And we think, I don't measure up to that. But there's good news for us. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. But you can see in this covenant, there's a two-way covenant here. What does God give Levi? God gives Levi something. That's God's part. And Levi has a part. This is this two-way covenant. 
God gives Levi life and peace. Levi's part is that, what is it? He walks with God and he has reverence and awe for God. That God that's what God wants of us. That we revere him, that we honour him. And this is the new covenant. If, you, if you're a believer in Christ, we enter into the new covenant. We put our trust in Jesus. And God's part is, he says, I'll forgive you from your sin. I'll make you one of my people. I'll give you a kingdom. That's what God's part is. Our part is we turn from our sin. We repent and we honour God as Lord, Christ as Lord, and trust in him as Saviour and seek to walk with him by grace. That's the new covenant. He makes us his people and we repent and we follow him and trust him and honour him. But these verses don't point to us the, the point of these verses is not, you've got to get your act together and be like this guy. The point of these verses is we can't, and God has provided someone who has, the faithful priest. Look at these verses here, how he describes Levi. We've seen them. He turned many from sin. He walked with God. He was faithful. Now, who's this talking about? It's not talking about Levi of the Old Testament. He was long dead before the priesthood came. It was his descendants, the Levites, who were made priests. Was it Aaron, the first priest? Was he faithful? He led his people into building a golden calf. So who's it talking about? Is it talking about the Levites throughout history, throughout the Old Testament period? They were patchy. Okay. Is it talking about the quintessential Levite, Moses? Well, maybe, but even Moses didn't get it together, did he? Okay, it's talking about someone coming in the ahead. It's speaking of the great high priest, Jesus Christ. He's the only one who fulfills this. He is the faithful priest. Christ is the faithful priest. He's the one who was faithful to God. He was the one who suffered on the cross for us. He's the one who turns people from sin. Christ is a faithful priest. Maybe you'd like to look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. So page 1202. We'll put it up on the screen here. So Jesus is the faithful priest. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. He goes on. So Jesus is the ultimate priest we need to fix our eyes on. He's the ultimate priest. He's the one who turns us from sin. He's the perfect sacrifice, so we need to look to him. So if you feel like you've broken your relationship with God by being unfaithful, by being selective in your obedience, I know I've done it, and I do it, but the good news is we've got a great high priest who stands in our place, so we need to look to him then there's a heart change there for us. And then we'll delight to honour him. All right, the third one, third sub-point here, the faithful husband. So we've looked at what covenant is all about. We're a covenant people. And we've seen how Christ is the faithful priest. And we're looking at Christ, the faithful husband. So God calls us to not just this vertical faithfulness, but this horizontal faithfulness in our relationships. So we are to honour this deepest of human covenants, which is marriage. How were God's people going with that? Well, you can see in this passage there's two ways they're violating the covenant of marriage. We'll have a look at these. In two ways. One, that there's mixed marriages. 
i.e., not racially mixed marriages, but mixed marriages in terms of marrying outside of the faith of Israel. That's the first one. Second one is that they're divorcing. They're divorcing their spouse. So we'll look at both of these. First one, mixed marriages. Marrying outside of God's people. Have a look at verses 11 and 12. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the one who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. So serious warnings to the one who marries outside of the faith of Israel. says it's a desecration of God's temple. It's detestable, he says there. Why is it? Why does God hate this so much? Well, it's not about race. It's about worship. And in Exodus 34, 16, part of God's covenant is that they're faithful to marry people within the people of Israel, within the people of God. And so in Exodus 34, 16, do we have a slide for that? Uh, I'm not sure. Here it is. When you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. So there's the reason God warns them not to marry outside of the people of Israel. Now, you might be asking, well, is that a rule today in the new covenant? Will I be cut off from God's people, or will a Christian be completely cut off from God's people by marrying a non-Christian? I would say no. But the principle still applies. It's a destructive and a foolish thing, and I would say uh, it goes against God's counsel to do so. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. It says that a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, uh, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone, but he must belong to the Lord. And you have that instruction. So, we are to marry, the counsel of the Bible is to marry a Christian. If you're a Christian, to marry a Christian. Now, that might be a difficult thing to do if we really love someone who's not. But you mustn't do it. Why? Because God loves you and he's keen for your heart. He's keen for your worship and he's keen for your eternal joy. Now, think about Solomon. Solomon. What was it that turned Solomon away from God later in his life? What was it? He married many wives, didn't he? He married maybe 700 women. Um, now, that was a bad move in and of itself. <laughs> but what was it about those women? It says uh, in 1 Kings 11 that Solomon loved many foreign women from nations about which God said, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. As he grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. The problem was the women were foreign women who didn't know the Lord and so they turned his heart away. Why does God not want you to marry a non-Christian? Because when you become married, you become one flesh. And what happens when you become one flesh is you become like one another, you become bonded to one another, and so the inevitable result is that one of you is going to change, or both of you are going to change. And the easiest way for that to happen is for the believer to chuck their faith in. And maybe you're sceptical, but I'm sure you could talk to anyone who's walked 
with the Lord for a long time here and you'll find out they'll have plenty of examples of this. I've had, many, I've had a couple of personal friends for whom this has happened. One person who gave his heart to the Lord, a good friend, um, and he had already committed, uh, engaged to a woman who had no interest in the Lord whatsoever. Didn't want him to read the Bible and within a short time I couldn't even get to the subject up with him. Uh, other friend who married a non-Christian whose marriage just broke up. Okay, so don't do it because the Lord loves you. And I'll say this too. If you're single, if you're single and you're so, you so much want to marry a person, that's understandable. That's understandable. But don't wreck the ultimate marriage that you already have. You already have the ultimate marriage because you're bonded to Christ. You already have him. He's the greatest marriage. You already have that. Don't jeopardize that for the sake of a temporary marriage. God loves you and he wants your eternal joy. Now, the second one here is divorce. God's warning the people against their practice of divorce. Have a look at verses 13 and 14. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? It is because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So God's warning them against divorce. They've been unfaithful spouses. And what's the result? Have a look at verse 16. Uh, He's not accepting their worship. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. God's passionate about marriage. He's passionate about marriage because it reflects his covenant love. And we know that marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. You read Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so there's this faithful covenant love in marriage which reflects the love of God. God's passionate about it. And it says, Jesus says himself, Matthew 19, 6, that God has made the two one and that they're one flesh. So what God has put together, let no one separate. God actually is invested in marriage. Have a look at verse 15. It's actually an ambiguous verse in the original language. And here it's translated, has not one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. But the ESV says this, it says, has not God made the two one with a portion of the spirit in their union? Whether or not that's what the verse is saying, Jesus says it himself, is that God is vested in marriage. He's vested in it. And he's, it's not just a covenant with people, it's a covenant with God as well. God's passionate about us having this faithful love in marriage. And he's passionate about sustaining it. Think about our marriage vows. What do we say? What, what, what do people say when they get married and their marriage vows? It doesn't, we don't say, I promise to love you as long as I'm feeling excited about the relationship. As long as things are going our way. As long as the fireworks are happening and it feels like a Disney film. Of course it doesn't. We don't say that. We say, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for bad breath or minty breath. 
for bad hair days or good hair days. We're going to love our wives or husbands, even when we're not feeling excited about it. And actually, the covenant that we make before God sustains the marriage. It, actually, romance flourishes in that environment because all of us who've been married for a long time know there are seasons where you don't feel that for your spouse. What do you do? You don't get out of the marriage. You actually go back to the covenant you've made before God and your wife or your husband. And you remember, God's put us together. This is who God's put me together with. And actually, that fuels romance again. We can fall in love with each other again, even though that might not happen. The covenant sustains the marriage. God sustains your marriage through the covenant that he's vested in. Now, two reasons God's passionate about this. Have a look at verse 10. We see one. We've read it out before. But we, we, we have one father. We're one family. So we're to demonstrate this family love. And in verse 15, we see another one. So our example, so identity, this is who we are. That's the first reason, is that we're God's people. The second reason in verse 15b is that God seeks godly offspring. So example, so he's passionate about the next generation seeing God's faithful love lived out. He's passionate about our children being passionate about covenant and faithful love. God's passionate about our display of God's love to the world, not just with our children, but with everyone. And so that's why God's really serious about his people holding these covenants and loving these covenants, but they're not doing it. And so he doesn't accept their worship. What instruction are we given here? Have a look at verse 16. You can see there it says, Be on your guard. And do not be unfaithful. Or it says, even in verse 15, again, be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Guard your spirit, literally, it says. What's that saying to us? It says that as God's people, there's danger. What do we guard, why do we guard things? We guard things when there's uh, a threat. And God says to us, guard your spirit. That applies to us. How do we guard our spirit? Well, those of us who are married, uh, guard your spirit. When you're not feeling excited about your marriage, be on your guard. Our flesh might be tempted, our, our sinful nature might be tempted to bail, might be tempted to react unlovingly, react selfishly. I just want to look out for me. Be on your guard. Or the world offers us all kinds of alternatives, exciting alternatives to this long distance covenant that we commit to. The world offers alternative appeals. Or you might not be faithful with your eyes. Or even worse, your hands. So be on your guard. But this applies in all our relationships, married or not. So this includes us, all of you who aren't married. But how can you be on your guard? Well, we're all one family in Christ. And so what does this look like for loving God's people? You know that the principles of marriage, give yourself up for one another, love one another, same principles we have for, that we're given in the Bible for one another. So how can we be on our guard? How's your relationships with people in church or in your life group, other Christians? Are you reflecting that covenant love with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Without a doubt, there are some Christians among us who we might not get along with, we struggle with, or we find really annoying. Maybe you feel that about me. And you know what? We're still to display this covenant love for one another. What does it look like? We need to be on our guard against gossip. 
slander, even just ignoring one another. Ignoring isn't loving, is it? Uh, Bypassing, maybe showing preference to give more attention to this person because they make me feel better about myself than this person. It's not God's covenant love. So be on your guard. Be on your guard against holding grudges. Sometimes we'll be offended by God's people, won't we? They'll wrong us. What do we sometimes want to do? We want to talk about it with our friends and tell them how horrible they are and how right we were and how wrong they were. What does the Bible say? Reconcile. Go to them and sort your relationship out. Don't be passive-aggressive. Don't punish them for it. Don't make them pay. Reconcile with them. So that applies in all of our relationships. Be on your guard and don't break faith with one another. And you know, the same principle applies too, that God doesn't actually accept our worship until we've reconciled. Think about the Lord's Prayer, and we pray that that part of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we have already forgiven one another. And he says at the end of that prayer, for if you don't forgive men their sins, your Heavenly Father won't forgive yours. So actually, God doesn't accept our worship until we've reconciled with one another. So same principle applies. So... What's the solution? We know we've done this. We know we've wronged one another. Uh, I know in my own heart how I've sinned against my wife in different ways. Uh, you know, even God says, Jesus says, doesn't he? You look uh, with lust on another woman, you've committed adultery. So I know that I'm guilty of breaking the covenant that I've committed to with my wife in all kinds of ways, not getting up in the night and serving my kids and letting her do it. All kinds of ways. What's the solution? The solution is the good news of the new covenant and Jesus Christ. The solution is we have a faithful husband. Who's the one who has always been faithful? Who's the one who has pursued you even to death? Who's the one who gave himself up for you? Who's the one who, even though you had no interest in him and, 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 and forsook your spouse, who's the one who pursued you? To the uttermost and gave himself up for you is Jesus. He died on the cross to make us holy, to make us a beautiful bride. He loved us when we were unlovable, when we were adulterers. He's the one who was made wretched that we be made beautiful. So if you've come to faith in Christ, you've wed with him, you're joined with him. That's the glory of the new covenant. That's the glory of the new covenant. We believe in the new covenant. I believe that when I raised my voice, at my child this morning, one of my children who I felt disrespected by, and I raised my voice and I thought, how am I qualified to preach a sermon on covenant love? And the reason is because I believe in the new covenant. I believe in grace and I believe that Christ is my faithful husband who's made me holy. Um, so there's good news for us, that God, Jesus has kept the covenant for us and we've been wed with him. So there's good news. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we've seen here how you're a passionate God of love and faithfulness. You love us uh, passionately and uh, you call us to love you even as you did Israel with our whole heart and soul, not just to serve you uh, with duty but to love you with our heart and soul. That's the greatest command that you gave us. Love you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbour as ourselves. And we know we haven't done that in so many ways uh, to our spouses, or, and to one another. And so we pray uh, that you'd forgive us and we thank you for Christ who is the faithful priest and the faithful husband who gave himself up for us on the cross to, to, to deal with our sin and to put it away and you're a God who doesn't treat us 
as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities as we read before but your, your love is as high as the heavens are above the earth and so far have you removed our transgressions from us like the east from the west we praise you for that love that you've shown us Lord may we reflect on that love fix our eyes on Jesus so that our hearts would be softened to you made new uh, and excited about renewing our love maybe with our spouse renewing our love for one another and most of all renewing our love for you by your Holy Spirit and we thank you for your good news and for the new covenant in Jesus name Amen